Good evening. Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Tonight we want to discuss what to do when you grieve. What to do when you grieve. Grief is certainly common to the human experience. I know for me personally, grief is something that I dealt with uh, mostly in my late 20s. And as coincidence would have it, I suppose, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to this subject, I guess. I know that there are some who, from a very early age, have to deal with grief because of a great loss that they suffered, and it's one of those tragedies of life. I am reminded of a time in my early 20s when I was in college, and I'll just share this with you. A friend from my rodeo days, I grieved his loss. You see, this particular friend had been paralyzed at one point. He was a bull rider, and he was paralyzed at the National Finals Rodeo for high school rodeo athletes, I believe it was in New Mexico. This was a remarkable young man. He was paralyzed, I believe, from the neck down. Would you know that he walked again? He was remarkable. He walked again after having been paralyzed in such a way a bull had stepped on his neck. It was truly horrendous, but, but he walked again. I remember going to a benefit to help cover some of his medical expenses, and I remember signing uh, something that was presented to him. I believe it was uh, maybe a picture or something, and a bunch of people signed it. And I remember signing, I want to have an autographed copy of the movie that they're going to make about you one day. He was truly remarkable. Fast forward a few years, I remember being in the computer lab in college and looking at Facebook instead of doing my work. I read something terrible. He had passed away in a car wreck. This was a young man who was remarkable in that he overcame great odds of being paralyzed and, and now he's overcome this and he's walking again only to lose him from a car wreck. That was my first experience with grief, losing a friend in that way. And I remember going down to the visitation before his funeral, and there was a long line of mourners, people who were grieving. And I remember standing in that line, 22 years old probably, and 22 years of not really losing anyone that I was close to, I didn't know how to deal with it. I stood in that line, and I had a panic attack. My parents said, are you okay? I said, I don't know. They said, you want to go ahead and go? And I said, yeah, I think that'd be best. That was my first experience with grief. I didn't know how to handle it. Fast forward to the age of 27, a grandfather that I loved dearly. 
He wasn't a Christian. And he told me, when you graduate preaching school, I'll, I'll come to church. He was about three months shy. He didn't make it. I grieved his loss. Fast forward to November of 2019, I lose an uncle. This was one of those uncles. You know, most of us have those uncles. They love to play with you and aggravate you. I lost him. And I grieved his loss. I preached that grandfather's funeral, and then just a couple years later, I preached that uncle's funeral. But I remember when I preached my grandfather, grandfather's funeral, I remember that uncle. He said, I'm not biased or anything, but that was one of the best funerals. You did a really good job. And it was just a year and a half, two years later, I preached his. Fast forward six months, 2020, and I lose my grandmother. This is all on my father's side. That side of the family went through a rough three years or so. And I preached her funeral. It was a graveside service in the middle of COVID. We didn't really get to have the kind of funeral that we wanted to have for her, but we pulled some strings at the funeral home. and We were able to have plenty of folks come out to that graveside service. These are some of my experiences with grief. And not only these, but I think of funerals that I have preached or I have attended back home, and I think of church members that I looked up to growing up back in Louisiana. And I remember singing a song. Maybe we sing this song here too. I don't know. We're going down the valley one by one. I remember sing, singing that song growing up, and then I started experiencing losing a lot of longtime members of that congregation, going down the valley one by one. And I look up to those spiritual giants, and I remember them, and I've preached some of their funerals. And I grieve their loss. Why do I say all this this evening? To make us depressed? No. To get in a slump of thinking about death? No. And I'll be honest with you, I was in one of those for a while. After experiencing those losses in my family, I was in a slump. I was thinking about it a lot. That's not why I mentioned those things this evening. We acknowledge the certainty of death and the need to be ready. And we need to be reminded of where we stand in God's eyes. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 and 2. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And so we must acknowledge this tragic fact of life. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Hebrews 9 verse 27 and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And hey, maybe this is a preacher's way of grieving by preaching about these things. Preachers sometimes, and, and you know this too, 
Christian, we want to be strong, don't we? We want to help the family as they're grieving. Maybe you're that person that wants to be strong so that you can put on a good face for the family as you grieve. But understand that we grieve nonetheless. All of us do. We want to talk about that tonight. Maybe this is therapeutic for me. A biblical look at grief. I want to look at two individuals from the Old Testament who grieved. Job and David. Let's start by looking at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Beginning in verse number 6, Job chapter 1 verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the, uh, so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. He does do that as a roaring lion. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Tell me, do you think he was grieving? Absolutely, Job grieved these terrible losses. I want you to go with me to the life of David. And the backstory, of course, is that David has been at war with his son Absalom, who rebelled against him. David wants his men to deal gently with his son Absalom, 2 Samuel 18, verse number 5. Well, Absalom gets his long hair stuck in a tree. And he's hanging from the tree, and along comes Joab. And Joab takes three spears and launches them at Absalom. And then Joab's servants, his armor bearers, come along and finish the job. 
and Absalom is gone. I want you to read about David's grief with me. Joab sends messengers on foot to tell David about what had happened, and the first messenger doesn't tell David about Absalom's fate, but the second messenger does. And I want you to begin with me in 2 Samuel 18, verse number 31. Second Samuel 18, verse 31. Then, just then, the, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. In other words, anybody who dares go against you, David, needs to be killed just like Absalom. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Verse 1 of chapter 19, and Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom. My son, my son. David grieved the loss of Absalom. But not only when we talk about grief do we need to talk about what is most obvious in grieving loss of life, but people also grieve their sins. David grieved over a sin. Read Psalm number 51 sometime. Read about David's grief over his sin with Bathsheba. But in talking about David's sin with Bathsheba, I want us now to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's go back a little bit in Samuel's life, or in David's life. <clears throat> and after Nathan gives this parable of the little ewe lamb that the man stole, and of course, who was the man? David was the man, right? He says, thou art the man, David. You're the one who stole another man's ewe lamb, of course, talking about a man stealing another man's wife. After this, I want you to read with me, beginning in verse number 13, 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However... Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him. 
to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. David, as well as Job, had moments in his life when he grieved loss. He also had moments in his life when he grieved over his sin as well. I want us to briefly talk about the stages of grief. Have you ever looked into this much, the stages of grief? There are five stages that are said that people go through when they grieve. The first is denial. Denial is the idea of feeling numb. The first few days of bereavement, you deny it. It's a feeling as if, this isn't real. It's just a dream. How can this be? But denial gives way sometimes to anger. Death seems cruel and unfair. And so people often feel angry when they suffer a loss, especially if someone was taken too soon. They may sometimes even feel angry at the deceased. Sometimes there is anger that is felt at oneself. Sometimes one feels as if they have not made it right with the one they've lost and they feel tremendous anger with themselves over this. Sometimes there is something called survivor's guilt. Why did I survive and they were taken? Sometimes they're even mad at God. Anger gives way to the next step, which is bargaining. When someone begins to make deals with themselves or make a deal with God, trying to do whatever he or she can to make themselves feel better. The person goes over things in their mind that happened in the past over and over again and asks a lot of what-ifs, wishing that he or she could go back and make changes. Bargaining gives way sometimes to depression. A very intense sadness and pain that can last for months or even years as the person begins to wonder, why do I even go on? And finally, depression oftentimes gives way to acceptance. Gradually, although the pain never goes away completely, most people do find that time helps the person to function better in day-to-day -day life. There's still pain, though, in remembering someone who has gone too soon. These are the five stages of grief. But one other thing that we need to acknowledge and we need to tactfully remind ourselves constantly in dealing with such a difficult subject as this is every one of us grieves differently. 
There are some people who grieve very openly. Others grieve very privately. And they don't want you to see them as they grieve. They would rather do that on their own. Some grieve for an intense, relatively short period of time. Others grieve for a more prolonged and drawn-out period of time. Some grieve through humor. Some would not dare grieve through humor because they don't find that appropriate. We need to understand that, and we need to bear with people who feel differently about that in times of grief. And there's no right or wrong way to grieve, and so the, the point is that we need to be understanding and we need to be passionate, compassionate, and we need to be tactful when people are in grief. What not to do when you grieve? And I want to say this carefully and tactfully, but I want us to give it reflection because I do know that in moments of grief, sometimes people do this and they don't mean it, but they may say it and we need to understand they're grieving. We need to understand that. Sometimes people blame God when they're grieving. Number one, we need to understand that if they feel that way, God understands they're grieving. And I read some exchanges in the Psalms and in Job that give the idea that, hey, he understands. Sometimes people feel that way. Maybe they're not thinking logically. But let's do our best not to blame God. I want you to think about this. We need to remember who the real enemy is. The enemy, like we talked about last Sunday, Satan. Satan is the reason that grief exists. Satan is the reason that death exists. Genesis chapter 1, it was good, 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 it was very good. Genesis chapter 3, because of sin, who tempted them to sin? Satan did. Satan, sin, that's when death enters into the picture. So we need to understand who the real enemy is. We need to do our best to not blame God, and I know sometimes people feel that way when they're grieving. But as we logically think through this scripturally, let's do our best not to do that. What then do we do when we grieve? I want you to turn back with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 and then also 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's do what Job and David did when they grieved. Job 1, I want you to notice verses 20 through 22 with me. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He's grieving. And then notice what he did. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Who did he turn to when he was grieving? He turned to his Lord and his God. The one that he knew had the power to comfort him and help him through this time of grief. 
and he worships him. He fell to the ground and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Do you see that? Don't blame God. Sometimes we feel that way, but don't blame God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to notice 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 20 through 23. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? By the way, I don't think that was a very friendly question to ask somebody when they're grieving. We need to be mindful of that, and we need to be careful when people are grieving. But David answers verse 22, and he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? David's thinking, well, maybe God has said this, but maybe through my prayers he, he might be gracious to me. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David understood where he was going. David understood where he was heading and where we are all heading. We're headed to be judged by God. David says, look, I can go and be with that child again, but I know that child's not coming to be with me again. I need to make sure that I'm living for the Lord, living righteously, because the promise is for me to go and be there one day where my child is. Finally, I want us to think about this last thing briefly. And that is what to do and what not to do when someone else is grieving. This is important. I want you to think about this. And this is an article on this subject that comes from a group called the Amen Clinics. 19 worst things to say to a grieving person. We're just going to go through some of these and I might make a few comments here and there, but most of these are pretty easy to understand why you don't say these things to somebody who's grieving. How are you doing? That's number one on the list. Why? Because with the roller coaster of emotions that somebody who's grieving is going through, they honestly may not be able to tell you how they're doing. You'll be okay after a while. Well, in the moment of their grief, they don't feel that way. I understand how you feel. Do you? You shouldn't feel that way. Stop crying. Some of these are obvious, but sometimes good-meaning people, and we understand that, good-meaning people, they say something because they feel like, well, I've got to say something, and then what comes out of their mouth was not the right thing to say to somebody who's grieving. 
At least he's in a better place. His suffering is over. At least she lived a long life. Many people die young. At least she lived a long life. That person is grieving. They're not worried about timelines. They just know, hey, I'm missing somebody that I love. Aren't you over him yet? It's been so long. Terrible. She brought this on herself. That is just cold. There is a reason for everything. Let me say this. God does not want this thing called death to exist. He created a perfect world. When sin entered into the world, that's what opened up Pandora's box and brought bad things into the world. God did not desire that at all. God's in charge. She was such a good person, God wanted her to be with him. Just give it time, and time will heal. You're young. You can still have other children. That is a horrible thing to say. You'll do better next time in love. Stay busy and don't think about it. You have to be strong for your spouse, for your children, for your mother, etc. Finally, number 19, just move on. These are not the things you say to somebody who's grieving. Twelve things to say or to do for a grieving person. I'm so sorry for your loss. We're here for you. And leave it at that. I wish I had the right words. Please know I care and I'm here for you. You and your loved ones are in my prayers. I can't imagine how you feel, but we're here for you. I'm here for you. That one keeps coming up. Please let me know when the services will be. I will be there. Would you like to talk? And don't be specific and don't prod, but would you like to talk? Give them an opening to talk if talking is their way of grieving. For some people it is. But you may find that that person talking is not their way of grieving. And so would you like to talk? And if they say no, respect that. Just be present. Share a memory about the person who's gone. Be empathetic. It's okay to show your feelings. And continue connecting even after a few months. Many people are inundated for the first few weeks, but they need support long after the funeral is over. I would also add this. Hey, I'm coming to mow your yard for you. They're going to say, no, 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 and you say, yes, I am. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do the dishes for you, et cetera. Find something that needs to be done that has kind of gone through the cracks because of the situation and just do it for them. They'll appreciate it. They're going to tell you no, usually, but do it anyway. These are some things that can help those who are grieving. This is a subject that is a fact of life, but it's so difficult. 
But we need to understand and be aware of how to deal with these types of situations. We need to be tactful. We need to be loving. And we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Think about this this evening. Grief is a part of life. Galatians 6 verse 2 says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Psalm 147 verse 3, we serve a God who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We need to remember this. And as the hands and feet of our Lord, if you will, we have a job to do as Christians when people grieve. What to do when you grieve? Let's think about our lives this evening. Maybe the case that you grieve like David did over your sins tonight. Maybe the case that you realize. I think it was um, Ezra that prayed a wonderful prayer. Our iniquities are piled up over our head. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you realize that. It grieves your heart. You have godly sorrow in your heart like we talked about this morning. That's you tonight. You can make a change tonight. If you've never put on Christ in baptism for the remission of your sins, you can do that this evening while you have opportunity. The water is ready. Here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? If you need to come, asking for prayers for strength or encouragement, whatever the case may be, please come as together we stand and sing.